Welcome to the Sharon Fitzmaurice podcast. And my guest today is Kayla Cooley, a social worker and postgraduate researcher in Limerick Institute of Technology under the Loss and Grief Research Group. Kayla's research focuses on suicide and the internet, pro-suicide websites, and what we in the helping spaces may be able to learn from them. Welcome, Kayla. Thanks for having me, Sharon. Great. So Kayla and me are going to let you in on a little secret. We had started to record this podcast yesterday and we were in the flow of conversation and somewhere along the way, our Wi-Fi or broadband, something happened and we had to cut short our interview, our chat. And it was just a wonderful conversation. So we hope we're going to be able to go back into the flow today um, because Kayla is as open and honest as I am. And we just kind of asked and said things that maybe other people were afraid to say or didn't want to say. So with that, one of the things I asked Kayla yesterday as we started off was, you know, had anything changed around suicide in this country in particular? And that how there was huge stigma years ago and people didn't want to talk about it. And if somebody had died by suicide, sometimes it was called something else, how around religious grounds that they weren't allowed to be buried in the graveyards and um, how, you know, you told me things there that I wasn't even aware of, Kayla, yesterday. But the question I do remember starting off with was asking you, have things really changed? Because the rates of suicide are still extremely high you know, and we're more open than we ever were, you know, ever, ever, ever that I can ever remember in my life. We're still more um, aware about things, but we're not at the same time, Kayla. Yeah. So uh, I was thinking about, cause we did dip into this yesterday and we had a lovely conversation around it and I was thinking about it after. And I suppose there's no more to say only that we've changed, but maybe just not enough yet. Um, mm. As I suppose in Irish society where we are quite reserved, we, and as you quite rightly say then, in, in later years and, and recently enough, we've become more open, we've become more honest with each other. Um, but sometimes we still hide from the big stuff, from the really, really nitty gritty deep stuff. Um, I, I have done it in my personal life for so long. I think it's just something in us. We don't like to to get mucky or get muddy. Um, so I think a lot of things have changed. I think sometimes we still kind of hide behind uh, things like suicide and mental health. So sometimes for people, it's easier to talk about mental health and positive mental health than it is about suicide or suicide prevention. Mm. Um, and that's tricky because while they're both connected, they're both very different at the same time. So as we kind of said yesterday, they're, they're cousins, not sisters, not twins, but they're cousins. Um, so I think, yeah, look, we, we've made huge progress, massive progress, especially with all the other things that come into it, like religion comes into it a little bit. Um, personal trauma comes into it for a lot of people. We shy back from that kind of stuff because we don't know, like when we come out and we say these things, are we with a safe person? Are they going to judge my trauma? Are they going to look at me differently? Um, so there's lots of things that have changed and lots of things that maybe haven't yet, but we are definitely making progress. Good. And um, one of the things there you said, and you'll know me, Kayla, I'll pick up on all these things. Things go bing and they'll stick out with me. 
one of the things you said, and I'm kind of, and I spoke about this a little bit yesterday to you, is um, the word mental health or the words mental health and what it means. And you even said there now, which really just tinged up in my brain again, was positive mental health. So positive mental health is you taking good care of yourself and being aware that you're feeling good and having the wherewithal to do that. And then you have people that really suffer with mental health issues. Like uh, what I mean is the dirty dog, rough, mucky stuff that we have in our lives, the trauma, the abuse, the, you know, not being able to look at yourself. And you can't turn around to that person and say, oh, let's just have some positive mental health now. You know, to me, that's bullshit. And I like to call it out and say they are two different categories. If you are feeling good, Kayla, and I said you positive mental health, Fabulous, lovely. Let's go do the self-care, the meditation. I'm a meditation teacher, a mindfulness practitioner. I'm all of those things as well. But also I know where I've come from and I know the mucky, dirty past that I had and how I had to crawl out of it, scraping through the muck to survive. And if someone turned around and said to me, just smile, it'll change your day, I would have told them to fuck off. Yeah. And do you know what? I, I love how honest you are and I'm honest too, quite rightly so. Mm. Um, I, I don't appreciate this kind of, and I don't think it's helpful either um, when, when we mix the two up and there is that generalization and, and I suppose that is so dangerous because it minimizes how somebody is really feeling. You've just so, said the word there, Kayla, minimizes. And I think not a pe- enough people are saying this, Kayla, you know, that people talk about mental health, but you said it's very different ends of the scale. It's completely different. Like you might have a bad day or feel depressed, but that doesn't mean you're necessarily depressed because depression is something that if you have it, there is, it's so hard to get out of your bed in the morning. I mean, you're crawling, literally crawling. And sometimes you don't even have the will to do that, you know? And when people say to me, oh, you know, these mental health and mental well-being, I'm all of that. But I'm doing it from a place where somebody is just they have no idea how sick they are. It's not just a bad day. This could be a bad year for them. But it's stemming from something that went on maybe for years and wasn't looked at. There wasn't the awareness. And that's why some of those people are thinking I could end this Mm. because I can't find a way out. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really, really difficult. And it's. I think people do it with the best of intentions um, and we, we try and push out positive messaging around all different types of things. But I think we need to really look at when we push it too far. Mm. So as you quite rightly said, if you have somebody who is feeling suicidal and or let's just say depression, let's make it really simpler. Mm. Um, so somebody has clinical depression and they're walking maybe to, I don't know, a therapy session. And on the wall, there's a poster that says, have a cup of tea with a friend or get out and do some exercise. We don't know how difficult it is for that person, as you said, to get from the bed to the kettle. Mm. And we're telling them to go out and do a run and Mm. train for a fight. You know what I mean? Like we have to take it person by person by person. It needs to be person centered. It needs to be focused. And I think you're right. We do have bad days. Everyone has bad days. I have them. Everyone has them. Mm -hmm. The difficulty is, I think sometimes people almost feel guilty when they have a bad day. Mm -hmm. So there's a guilt associated with it. I shouldn't be saying that I have a bad day. I have everything. 
I do this job and I have this and look at other people are so much worse off. So to ease that guilt, maybe they say, well, maybe I am depressed. Maybe that's what I do have. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't necessarily have to. You are allowed to have a bad day. Mm-hmm. You are allowed to acknowledge when things are shit. You're allowed mm-hmm. to say it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I like that. And, you know, and I can't remember where I saw it, but somebody said, you know, we have sick days, you know, where you have a physical unwellness. But maybe there should be a mental health day. So, you know, or call it something else, a well-being day, I would prefer, you know, than a a, a mental health day. Because, again, it minimizes the people that are really struggling with their mental health for real issues. But I think, as you said, everybody has bad days and they have low days. And, you know, but again, it comes back to even people saying they have the flu when they've only a cold. If you got a flu, you'd really know about it. And the same thing if you were so depressed, you know, like myself and many other people that I know, you would know you don't want to be there. It's the most frightening and isolating place that you've ever been in your life, ever. So I am really loud about it because, you know, I spout the positive and I do all of that as well. But I also go the other end and say, you know, have you looked at the people in your family? Have you looked at your friend's circle? Do you know what's really going on for them? Or do you only take notice of them on the good days and you ignore them on the bad days because you can't deal with it? It's too much. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't want to make anyone feel guilty because that's not what it's about. But it's about us really taking notice of each other. And we spoke about yesterday, the biggest thing that everybody wants in this world is connection. And if I feel disconnected from you, I am unable to share with you. But if I feel connected to you, I can say anything to you. Isn't that true, Kayla? That's absolutely true. I'm a big, this is what I talk about throughout all the different things that I do and all the different people I speak to is a lot, most of, I would say everything comes back down to connection. Mm. And that's whether you feel, and it's not always just with other people. It's do you feel connected to yourself? Mm. Are you connected with are things aligning for you so sometimes I would speak to people who say you know um, maybe they don't have a mental illness or they don't have a diagnosis of a mental illness and they just don't know what's going on they don't quite feel themselves um yeah this happened and yeah that happened but that wouldn't usually really throw me and then the more you tease it out the more you talk it out and I'm talking now friends not really in a therapeutic space there's something within them that they're struggling with that happened maybe three weeks ago that they weren't able to connect with then and it's still there hanging over their heads mm. and it does not go away until I find anyway with myself things do not go away until I can actually connect acknowledge and say oh yeah that's yeah, what that's I was what thinking that's what it was and then you can move on but connection like I see it with say the pro suicide website that I study I see that a lot um so these are extremely dangerous places um quite toxic they can be mm-hmm. at times and they share extremely dangerous information on suicide methods and stuff. So when I was going into this, I was like, oh, my God, these places are horrific. They need to be banned. I need to do this research. It's really important that I do this. And what I really quickly saw was, yes, while all that is true, people are also getting genuine connection here. Mm. So when somebody is posting, I'm feeling suicidal, whatever it might be, instead of the comments where they share, have a cup of tea with a friend, or have you tried exercise? The yeah. comments will come back and they'll say, well, look, I remember feeling like that. 
this is what helped me. Don't know if it will help you, but I'm just throwing it out there. Very that was good. connecting. That was empathy. And that's the difference between empathy and sympathy. Yeah. Is the connecting piece with sympathy. And Brene Brown talks a lot about this. And we use a lot of her videos in our training. But sympathy will come in and say, God, yeah, that's that's really awful. Here's a here's a helpline. Mm. Empathy comes in and says, remember exactly how that felt. This is what helped me. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean it's going to help you, but let's yeah. chat through further. Do you know, yeah. so everything comes back to connection. Yeah. You know what I think of when you said that there is, and I love Brene Brown as well, but I thought of Avatar, the movie, you know, and there's a part in it. And I might have said this in another podcast because it always stuck with me. I remember when I saw it first and the part where he put his head up to the other avatar and said, I feel you, I see you and I hear you. And they're like, now maybe he didn't say those three. He might have just said, I see you. But I always say to people, I feel you, I see you and I hear you without the words, because as I said yesterday, I work quite a lot energetically with people. So they don't necessarily have to say anything. I can tell from their energy a lot what's going on. I don't do that now. Everyone's listening. I don't go around the street looking at your energy. I don't do that. I work with my clients that way because sometimes they don't have the emotional intelligence to express how they're feeling. So sometimes I work with color and I'll say, you know, this will be interesting, Kayla. I'm going to ask you this in a moment. But sometimes I work and I say, you know, there's a certain color in your energy today. And what would you, you know, when you think of that color, what emotion would you put with it? And without realizing it, they start to identify how they're feeling Mm. or how they have been feeling without kind of being aware of it. And suddenly they realize, oh, my God, that's how I've been feeling for months. But I didn't know what it was. You know, and then we just work back to, well, where do you feel that started from and la da da And then we come to the root, whereas, again, is this is the connection they needed to find out where it's actually coming from, that they're not crazy. You know, they're not ridiculous for feeling like this. They shouldn't be ashamed of it or guilty. Now they know there's some valid reason. It may not be valid to you or me, but it's valid for them of where this started. And it's like this light bulb goes off in their head and they go, they're nearly delighted that they found out how this started because now they can work on healing it and recovery. And that's what connection for me is also. So if I sit with my clients or sit with whoever, you know, wants to sit with me and I'll say, well, this is what I feel from your energy. So the same way you might sit with your friend and say, I know there's something up with you. I know you. You know, I can I can feel it from you and you may not say it's energetic for you, but it actually is. You can say I can feel from you that you're just not yourself. Yep. How would your friend respond to you in that instant? It's, this is it. Like you, you never really know, do you? And with the amount of people that we've worked with, say you never know what way a person is going to respond, you know. Yeah. Um, but what I will say is the majority of the time a person comes back and says, Thank you for noticing that. Oh, yes. Yeah. Do you know what? Because they, yeah. as you quite rightly said, to make somebody feel seen mm. is transformative. It yeah. can change the whole direction of a conversation. It can, even down to the simplest things, somebody may not be struggling, but they might just be having a bad day. Mm. And you going up to that person saying, You're having a bad day. Let's have coffee later. Yeah. 
can change the whole direction of their day. Yeah. Do you know what? And I know and I know we're talking about huge issue here with, you know, suicide and pro pro suicide websites and all of that. But when we and I always say I try to keep things simple and come back down to the basics. But I always say it really is about the basics, isn't it? It's about the connection. It's about being seen and being heard. And I think that starts within our own friendship groups and within our own family circles. And again, it's not about making anyone feel guilty because they may have had somebody in their circle or in their family that has passed by suicide and they're going, but I was here and I did notice and I, you know, it's not about that, but it's about an awareness now. And I think that's what I like about the mental health awareness is that we are all a little bit more aware And maybe we're noticing a little bit more. Sometimes we go overboard and we're noticing things too much. And then we're making people feel like they are suicidal when they're not. They're just, you know, they just need their space. They don't want you in their face constantly. There is all ends to this. And it is very complicated, as you know. And the fact that you're doing research into it, (laughs) Kayla, is phenomenal because I'm sure there is so much information out there. There's, there is, there's, there's massive information and there's all different theories and different fields of study are all looking at it. So you can look at this in, in loads of different ways and through loads of different um, um, lenses, I suppose, but it'll always come back down to me, to the person. I don't care at a certain point you, you need to ignore what psychiatry says and what psychology says and what sociology says that's all great and we need to do it and I'm glad I'm in a position where I'm able to look at research and literature and stuff but that's only 10% of what's going on in the brain when you're talking to somebody who's sharing with you that they're in distress yeah you know um there's there's lots of great theorists out there and there's so much to read that nobody could ever get through it in one lifetime ever no um but I think what the important thing to know is even with everything we have we still know so little. So yes. that's just speaking to the fact of how complicated it can be and how different it is for every single person. And the best thing you can do is meet a person where they're at and have a conversation with what they want to talk about and let them guide, guide the conversation. That's all you can yeah. do. You said something very interesting yesterday and it's so true. It's like if you were speaking to me and what I might, how I might process thoughts because of my experiences will be quite different to how you process information or things right now because of your past or your experiences or your traumas and we have to remember that when we're dealing with any individual of anywhere in our lives it's like you know I spoke to my niece even today and I said people will react to you and you will react back to them you know so you mightn't be able to change the other person but you can change yourself so lots of the time when we're meeting people and even though we mightn't understand or we don't know how to help them we come to da- down to their level you know it's like coming down to a small child and sitting down and looking them in the eyes not overpowering them or saying i know what's best for you you should do this and ring this and do that sit down with them and just say how can i help you is there something i can do for you right now and I'll just be here, you know, or I'll have this call. I'll get you a coffee and we'll just sit here until you're ready to talk. And if you're not, that's OK. We'll just sit here anyway. Yeah. And I think there's there's a couple of really important things that I'd love to hit on anyway when we're having this conversation. We kind of touched on it yesterday, too, was that yeah. the way an easy way to kind of look at things is to think of your brain as a computer. Mm. 
and your computer has all these different files and all these different and I know my computer is my physical computer is a disgrace where I file things but if you think of your mind as a computer every experience every conversation you have everything you do throughout the day is filed into a folder so while you and me have the same experience we file it differently in our mind so I can't come in with my file and say, right, Sharon, I had the same experience as you three weeks ago. This is exactly how you fix it. And I give you my file. Mm. It's not going to work because you're not going to have a clue. None of my files are going to make sense to you. Yeah. But what we can do is recognize that the experience was difficult enough for somebody to need to talk about it. Yeah. Then we can chop, then we can change, then we can have a conversation. But it's really important that people remember that even though we have the same physical experience, it's been filed away differently. Yeah, I think that is so powerful, Kayla. And it's like loads of things from our conversations took out for me, but that was one of the things that really, really stuck out and the connection, because I'm all about the connection with people. And one of my other things, you might not remember this movie either, was Dirty Dancing from years ago. Love it. Oh, you do? Okay. So, um, you know, when it said nobody puts baby in the corner when the girl is sitting there and then what's his name? Patrick Swayze comes and takes her up and said, no one puts baby in the corner. I would feel like that about people. If I'm out anywhere, and it was always the way for years, and if I saw somebody by themselves, I would always try and include them. Now, I know I would bring in every stray dog as well, but and people probably thought I was very strange. And why did I need to bring people in? You know, because people said they could be crackpots. And I said, they're a bit crazy in all of us. I... But even now, you know, I was uh, at a walking weekend there in Cork, I don't know, whenever, last month, July, whenever whatever it was. And there was a man sitting in the corner by himself. And we were in our group and we were roaring, laughing. We were in the pub, roaring, yeah. laughing and having great fun. But I could see him from the corner of my, and he kept looking over and kind of smiling because we were laughing. And then I said, how are you? Would you like to come over and join us? And he was, oh God, I couldn't come. I couldn't impose. And then I said, oh, please come over and join us. He had moved from America, oh. you know, and he didn't know loads of people. Yeah. So and I was only there for the weekend, but there was a few people from that town and he met them and I introduced him to a few other people. And I just thought, what if that was me sitting on that table by myself? Would anyone have looked over and said, come and join us? Yeah. You know, yeah. our people, I would say I'm considerate. But are most people considerate? Do we look around and see the people that are sitting by themselves? Do we notice? I think, do you know what? I think we do. I think yeah. inherently people are good and people yeah. will notice. I think where the discrepancy might be is the people who notice and go and interact with the person and the people who notice and go, I don't want to impose on them. Maybe I'm going to interrupt them. And yes, so yeah. I think that's where maybe the discrepancy is because I, I really do believe people are inherently good. Like most people yeah. that you meet are good people. Um, yeah. And we don't like to leave, especially in Ireland. We love the more the merrier is kind of our, our thing yes. here in Ireland. Um, so I think maybe that's the discrepancy is when people don't want. I know for me, I'm quite, a, I would say, odd person. To put it <laughs> yeah, I, I think I am. Why are um, you odd, Kayla? So at one stage, right, I went really into looking at the Myers-Briggs and the personality types and all this. And I was doing it and I came out an INFJ, right? So... What that basically means is I'm an extroverted introvert. Mm -hmm. 
So I was like, I was looking at the things. Here's your sister. Yeah, do you know what I, and I was looking at the things. I was going, no, not doing it. I'm not accepting that. So I decided to do it again. And I went down, sure enough, INFJ. So I went on to a different test. And again, INFJ. And do you know what? It was the more I thought about it, I went and I got a brilliant book and everybody should read it, I think. It's called Quiet by Susan Cain. Fantastic book. Um, but she explores, I suppose, the quiet power of introversion mm. um, and how you can have extroverted introverts. So if I feel sometimes in my life that there's there's parts of my life that I was really, really extroverted. And now as an adult, that has changed and I'm gone really, really introverted. But in certain situations, I can be both. Yeah. So I think it really depends on where a person is at. If I'm feeling extroverted, I will go over and I'll have a conversation with that gentleman sitting in the corner and I'll invite him. If I'm feeling introverted, I'd be like, do you know what? No, I don't want to impose on him. I don't want to ruin his evening. Maybe he just doesn't like the look of my group. Maybe I'll just leave him be. So I think it's where we're at ourselves on the day. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think so. I think, yeah, now when I think about that, I think, yes, when I'm out, I think everyone should be out having a good time, yeah. you know, but when I'm here and I want my space and if somebody knocks on the door, I'm kind of like, oh, for God's sake, you know, yeah. that kind of way. And it's not being mean, but I'd be delighted no. to see them. God, anyone, they'd be afraid to knock at my door now, Kayla. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? There's, there's nothing wrong with that either, because I'm always saying to my friends, you know, I love when my friends come up for a visit, everything else, but they know. Don't just go to Kayla's house and knock on the door because if she's having a Kayla day, yeah. the curtains are closed, Netflix is on, she's not moving for anyone. You know, if I'm yeah. feeling introverted. Yeah. But if you call me and you say, Are you home for a coffee? I'm absolutely home. But I need to, I need to build myself up to have social, especially with COVID, I find I'm gone a lot more introverted. Yeah. Um, so I need to ready myself and center myself. And then I'm like, yeah, come on in. Yeah. And you yeah. know what? I think that's lovely, though, in a way. And even saying that, you know, that, you know, when you said, oh, I was looking up my personality type and you didn't want to be that. But then it kept coming up. It's I think that, again, that's a connection to yourself. You're realizing yeah. who you are, how you want to be in the world and that it's OK to be that way. And mm -hmm. even it's OK to say, I want a Kayla day. Yeah. And that your friends who love you and family who love you will say, absolutely, that one needs her day or she'll be like an old wet rag the next day if you don't give her the time. But that we have that self-care, you know, that to me is self-care. It's not about the bubble bath and the chocolates and nope. the whatever. It's about saying I need space to get my head around the stressful week or the stressful relationships or family or finances, whatever it is. I need time just to work it all out and that I'll be OK. You know, it's OK to say that. That doesn't mean you're depressed. That means you just need a day for you. Yeah. And it, you know what it means is that it just means that you know yourself. Like, yeah. Say growing up as a in my early teens and even late teens, I always say to people, I was absolutely living on autopilot. Mm -hmm. I was going through my life A to B to C to D. And I just accepted things as they were. And that was it. Now it's only in my late 20s, early 30s, where I've done all this self-development and all this personal development work. And to be honest, it was kind of forced on me. It's not that I wanted to do it, but as part of my college course, you, you have to do personal development. And as part of the suicide prevention work we do, we all have to attend counseling mm. um, with a therapist. So there was lots of personal development work going on. And I swear to God, if my friends heard me speaking like this, they would think, 
something's after happening to her she's gone she's you know because I was so different yeah and now I truly and I say to anyone self-awareness and knowing yourself is the most vital part of life I swear to God it is yeah yeah you are so right Kayla you have hit the nail on the head and that's one of the first things I will teach anybody whether it be my clients or in my groups or when we do retreats, I'm bringing a group away on a retreat this weekend to County Clare. And I could spend hours just saying, you know, do you know who you are? How do you feel? How can you acknowledge who you are right now? Because everything is based on that self-awareness. And if you know who you are today, you can build on that person and build on your strengths, but also acknowledging those weaknesses, you know, and you've read, you obviously know about shadow work and Carl Jung and all of that. So those parts of me, I honor her also. I honor that shadow side of me and mm-hmm. I allow her to be seen because she is part of me. You know, I'm not going to deny the parts, you know, I mightn't let everyone in the world see them, but yep. they are parts of me too. So I think again, and this all comes, you know, we, as I said, this conversation is it's going from one to the other, but it's yeah. all around the same thing. It's about knowing yourself and trusting yourself and allowing people to see the real you and not being ashamed or hiding from any part of yourself. And that that part of you that you say, let's call it the shadow side, which shouldn't be, you know, about something that's bad. It's saying that this is all of me and some parts of it, some parts of myself might scare me and it might scare other people. And and it's so true, isn't it, Kayla? It's so true. And you know what? This is something I've been thinking about for the last few years is not just with the self, the two sides, but the duality of the whole entire world. Yeah. Um, like, as I say, growing up, I would have been extremely black and white. Like I wanted to join the Gardaí, right and wrong. Yeah. Um, and if there's one thing I could say that I've learned, especially, and I'm always thinking about this now, and it's nearly applicable to everything. So with ourselves, we have the black and we have the white mm. with a pro suicide website. Like I'm saying, like I went into it thinking it was solely black. Yeah. There's a whole other side to it mm. that people are slow or reluctant to look at because it's a bad and toxic space. Yes, it absolutely is. But there is also elements of it that if we don't turn away from, and if we spend the time looking at and getting mm. to know, we can bring this back to the better spaces. We can bring this back to the healthier environment. So yeah. what, and I think that's about people too. And it's like what you're saying about the mm. shadow side. Like I learn more from my negative traits mm-hmm. than ever I do. But like, I know I can be really fun loving and I can be this yeah. and that. I also know I need my time. I need my space in order for me to be able to be fun loving and to be yeah. able to be there for my friends. Yeah. And like you said, and I loved what you said, because this is something we always say. Self-care doesn't have to be a bubble bath and five hours meditation and this, mm-hmm. that, and the other thing. Anything that takes you out of your work mind and out of your past mind and your future mind. Yeah. Anything that keeps you. I know people who play first person shooter games on the PlayStation. I used to be one of them. That was my self-care. Yeah. Uh, reading. It doesn't matter. It's, it could be a passion project. Mm. Um, one thing I always tell people to do is if they're really struggling to find and they can think of something for self-care, do one of two things. Go back and watch your favorite TV show or movie from when you were a kid or have a meal that your primary caregiver would have made you at home when mm. you were a kid to make you feel better. Yes. 
do one of those things and I guarantee you, you will. That is self-care all the way. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. And, you know, I think that is a hard thing. I hear people saying that they don't know what to do for themselves. They're not sure how to mind themselves, you know. And again, I'll say, well, maybe it's just going back to bed and having a rest and not having your mind working overtime. Maybe it's to sleep, you know, maybe it's just just to sit outside and do nothing and sit in the garden, plant your feet on the ground and, you know, just feel the ground underneath you. You know, I believe everyone should have an animal in their house. You know, for me, it's hug my dogs or, you know, pet my cats. Well, the cats will be petting me. They'll demand when who's going to get petted when. But the dogs, definitely, you know, that's why I was opening the door there a minute ago, Taylor. One one of my dogs decided he would come and sit at my feet and then he heard something outside. So he decided he was going to start barking in the middle of the podcast. So I had to open up the door to let him out. That's my life. You know, there's no perfection here at all. No, no, (laughs) And it is part of it. But I do like what you said there as well is, you know, when we don't want to look at that side of ourselves, but what more importantly, when you said there, looking at the pro-suicide websites, that you're looking at them from a toxic place, but there also is a connection for people that are feeling that bad or that low and they're contemplating suicide. And they go on and maybe they find the connection they need at that moment. And it's somebody that's actually going to help them so that these For you and people that are researching and working, you know, around suicide, mental health awareness could learn a lot from these pro-suicide websites. Yep, Um, that that is my thing now. And I will beat that drum morning, noon and night. Um, Like I understand and I, I really do understand that when you first go on to a place like this, especially for someone like I was working in suicide prevention before I started this research. So thankfully I was self-aware enough to be able to to reflect on what I was feeling at the time and I I knew myself I was like this is horrific this is terrible but what that was was it was triggering moral ambivalence for me Mm. this place is going against everything I know and everything I believe yes that doesn't mean that it can't teach me something and once I got over that and my biggest thing now is that two things can be true at the exact same time. Absolutely. Yeah. And once you can accept that and you can look past, and I don't mean everybody should be going to really dangerous spaces. What I'm saying is if you are going into research work or if you're going to look at suicide, you need to look at it in its entirety. We can't just look at the bits that we like. We have to look at what we don't like as well, because it's usually there. The real learning starts is in what's perceived as negative or because if we don't look at it right what will happen is we will still have people going to these places there is something here that they're getting that they're not getting in therapeutic spaces there's yes. something driving people here and we need to try and understand it a little bit more mm-hmm. so that hopefully we can try and offer that same thing in a safer place without access to all the dangerous stuff and the dangerous people and the all that toxicity there is stuff that we need to be able to be strong enough to look at so that we can bring it back to the safe places. Wow. Absolutely, Kayla. I absolutely agree with you. And again, I know we touched on this yesterday and most people that listen to my website will know my story that I had reached that place where it was very toxic and very dark and there was no looking at me (laughs) any longer because I felt like I didn't exist anymore. It was just all darkness. And when you're speaking of that, 
in my head, there's a part of my brain that's going, God, I wish there was a pro <laughs> website, suicide website when I was going through that because mm. I felt so isolated. I felt like I was the only one experiencing this and the shame, of course, that went with it then and then made it worse because I didn't want to tell anybody. Mm. And then it was like, I can't go through this any longer and I don't want to, you know, it was a, I didn't want to burden anybody mm. with this awful stuff that I felt. And yep. so I think about it. If somebody said to me, here's somebody else like you, that would have even lifted me out a bit of that darkness that there was somebody else like me. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's that's what I see here. And, you know, what I, I, I kind of call it is sincere solidarity mm. to find someone who has had one of the most horrific experiences and can genuinely connect with mm. that situation. I mean, that's invaluable for a person who's just going through it now. Mm. And I suppose the danger is when it's here and it's number one, it's online, it's completely anonymous. Number two, all the dangerous information that's there. I would much prefer that someone is able to meet that person in real life in a controlled environment, yes. but not so controlled that they feel like they can't say what they need to say. Mm. Um, and that's an issue that I have you know when we we say um, it's okay not to be okay and it's okay to reach out and it's okay to talk to your friends what you will see is that sometimes people who do take that advice and they say okay I'm going to talk to a friend and then the friend turns around and says god you'd never think of doing something stupid like that would you Jesus we can't you know you can't be thinking like that okay but you said we should reach out and it's okay to talk we can't then say but it's only okay to talk this much yeah. or it's only okay as far as this point um so i think you know what peer support groups are something that are not looked at enough mm. yeah um, especially and i think now people will probably be listening and go i attended one of them and it was useless i fully believe you hand on heart i fully believe you but a peer support group with the right facilitator can be life-changing yeah. It can be life changing and it can be safe. Mm. So one of the things we worry about when we look at a pro suicide website or even just content online that maybe isn't the safest is one of the things we worry about is contagion. So contagion, suicide contagion can happen when people have access to suicide methods or information on suicide methods, then they experience acute distress. And now you've told them a means or a method that will work. Mm. So if you're in heightened distress and you can't see past tomorrow, of course, that's what you're going to gravitate towards. So it's, it's, it kind of goes back, this is something interesting, you might find it interesting, is the Werther effect. So that's sometimes what they say about contagion. Um, so there was a book many, many years ago called The Sorrows of Young Werther. And people were reading this book and in the book, the main character dies by suicide. And what I said is that after that book's release, they were finding people who died by suicide using the same means, the same methods. And it's, it, I suppose it goes to show that we don't know enough. We, we know that it's dangerous. So we know enough not to share this information. This mm. is really, really dodgy stuff. Um, it's similar to Sylvia Plath and how she died. Um, and after that, I suppose, some of the kitchen appliances were changed over and they weren't on, I suppose, uh, dangerous networks anymore. So the substances used in the kitchen weren't as dangerous. So people thought 
oh, do you know what's going to happen is people are just going to use a different method of suicide. What actually happened was that they didn't because in their distress, they didn't have access to the suicide method. So when the distress passed, they were still alive and they could think about things and they could, I suppose, be with themselves again and they could kind of reemerge. And that's not to say that they weren't suicidal again later. Yeah. But what we know is that limiting access to suicide means and methods is number one important. Yeah. Um, So that's why I suppose I never tell people the name of the website I I research. I never tell people any of the stuff that's on it um, specifics. But what I do say is that we need to look at this here because people are going here instead of going to therapeutic spaces. People Mm. are burnt out from therapeutic spaces, some therapeutic spaces. So we need to see what's going on. We need to look at it. I think that is so important, you know, as you're saying it, it's like just jumping out at me. It's like, why are they going to the toxic place and not to the therapeutic space? There's something wrong or they believe there's something wrong. But also something you said there is, you know, when that distress passes and they don't have means to the suicide aids or whatever they need and then you know they come out and they're they're kind of oh that's gone by as you said it may they may be suicidal again later on that's what it was for me I reached the most distressed I've ever been you know that I can't even fathom now I can't fathom where I was because it was I didn't even I felt like it was out of body almost and that it, it probably went on for hours and hours and hours you know I can't remember But something inside of me, and I always say it's my soul was stronger than me. And it shouted at me, you know, get into bed, get into bed, you know, get into bed. And I I can only remember that now. Imagine I couldn't remember that for years afterwards, but it was like get into bed because it was a safe place because I was living in a three story townhouse and I was going to go out the top window. And, you know, that's how I just wanted the pain to end. It wasn't about ending my life. It was about ending the pain. And I think people don't understand that about suicide. It's not that I wanted to be gone from my loved ones or my family, or I wanted to get away from this cruel world. You know, it was I could not deal with the pain that I felt in my mind, first of all, but in my body. Secondly, it was my body was just, you know, fading away because my mind couldn't deal with everything I was trying to process and to live with and trying to pretend any longer you know I always say that pretense was the hardest part (laughs) the pretense of going out and smiling that everything was all right that was so that was like putting on a a different character every day and you know and I wish there was masks back then then I wouldn't have had to smile at anybody Mm. but it was part of the pretense it was so hard you know so I understand people that are at that stage it was the hardest thing. I, sexual abuse, that had, that had gone. But now pretending to be okay was so hard. That's what was killing me completely, was pretending that I was okay. I wasn't even able to show that other side of me. So it was, that dis- it was like it just all came to a head. So the distress you spoke about, and the only option I had, I believed, was going out the top window. But mm. somewhere inside of me was get into the bed, just get into the bed. And when and it did, and that distressed me. And when I woke up the next morning, Kayla, something again said to me, you can't go through another day like this. Because I knew I couldn't. It was one or the other. And I made a choice. 
And it was the only thing I ever felt like I had control of was, was that choice. Mm. And that was very small, but it was my choice. So if somebody in that awful distress believes that they had a choice and they have control over that choice, mm-hmm. it's something more than they had the day before or an hour before. Yeah, absolutely. And you've said so many things there that are so important that people don't hear enough. Mm. And that's from the lived experiences from people who have been in that place. And a lot of times what we know is, and this is usually from people who tell us, is that suicidal thoughts are fleeting. Mm. So somebody can be suicidal at 11 a.m. Doesn't mean they're going to be still suicidal at 3 p.m. You know, so the suicidal distress might pass, but that doesn't mean to say that it might not come back at 7 p.m. again. Yeah. You know, so it's really important that when somebody is in distress, that they can recognize that the distress will pass. Mm-hmm. It may come back, but that's a different experience for a different moment. And the other thing I think as well, when you said about when you were saying to get yourself onto the bed, mm-hmm. this is something that I always shout about is that. You know, when somebody um, says that they have been feeling suicidal and they've done the therapeutic work and they're starting to get a care plan in place and they're starting to get back on track. The one thing that we don't see happening enough is people's own voice being in their care plan. Because what I always say to people is, if somebody is telling me that they're in suicidal distress, chances are they have felt this way before because usually if it's the first time people are like, no, I can't tell anybody this, this is really, really hard. Mm -hmm. So chances are they've felt this way before. And if they've felt suicidal before and they're telling me now a different time, they did something to save themselves that time. Yes. So they know exactly what they need to be able to feel safe. Mm -hmm. All they need is for somebody else to acknowledge and help them with that. Yeah. So we can put in place care plans and we can say, right, psychotherapy and we can say therapy and these this medication and whatever else it is we need to have the person's voice in that care plan too because they know exactly how to keep themselves safe when the when the going gets really really tough when it's four o'clock in the morning and there's nobody else that they can call they're the ones that keep themselves safe overnight you know so we really need to include um the voice of the person in their own care plans i think it's and to empower them kayla also you know and that's what i feel like you know that word can be used in all different situations but for me as i said and i go on about choices quite a lot as well but the fact that i was able to i felt in that moment that i had a choice really empowered me again i wasn't aware of it at the time but i (laughs) kind of thought i'm in control of that choice I was in control of nothing else I felt in my life but I was in control of my choice so as you said the person that has already been through this and you have their care plan and whatever it's to them is to find something that they can use as their safe you know exit or word or whatever it is they need whatever they want to call it and that they've empowered themselves before to get through the distress and to keep reminding them you know and I always say to people how did you get through that worst time there? Just that little time there. And they'll go, oh, God, and they have to think about it. Mm. And you'll go, but here you are. So you did get through it. And that was the worst time of your life. You've never experienced anything as bad as that. And you survived. Mm. And yeah. they're kind of going, 
Oh, Jesus, I never thought about that. Yeah. So and what did you it. do? Yeah, what did you do? So you go back and think, because they're going through a hard time now, but it wasn't as hard as that time, or it is the same hardness, we don't know. But what did you do that time? And I think we need to remind people, and you need to, in your work in particular, I think that's a huge part of your research, is to involve the person yeah. and to their voice to be heard. Yeah, I mean... It's so true. And it is about empowerment, as you say. And that word, it gets thrown around a lot and it gets yeah. kind of a bad rap. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you take it for what it is at its core, yeah. Um, when people are in distress, right, they can't see up, they can't see down. They, their thinking is so distorted because yeah. of the high emotional distress that they're in. So what happens is people forget the good things about themselves. Mm-hmm. They forget, like you say, the coping mechanisms they used and how they're still here. And a lot of the time, and it's the basis of therapy, a good therapist is worth their weight in gold, not because they give you the answers, because you give them the answers and they empower you enough to be able to give your own answers to your own questions. And I remember when I started therapy, like as you probably know, back then I was a closed book. I was like, no emotional work happening here not doing it. <laughs> I was so bad like but um, I, I was so lucky um, that I got an ex oh this therapist I'm telling you I don't know what she did but I went from a person who hadn't cried I think in five and a half six years I was crying every 45 minutes and this didn't happen overnight this was a, and people think that you know I go to one therapy session my problems are fixed. <laughs> Doesn't work. So the way you, you should kind of look at it is, is almost like compounding. You do 1% of the work at every ther- mm-hmm. therapy session. And if you're lucky, you'll come away with the 1%. But at the end, all those little 1% compound. Mm-hmm. And you have this huge, oh my God, it did work. And it's mm-hmm. only when you do something or you say something that would be so different to what you would have said in the past that you go, mm-hmm. Oh my God, she's after doing some voodoo. I don't know what she did. Um, But these are the things. It's like when you're working with somebody who's in distress, it's not about giving them the answers. And a lot of time people will ask you for answers. Mm. Why is this happening to me? I should be this and I should be that. And it's it's about really listening to their story Mm. and trying to just bring it back around so that they can remind themselves, Mm. I did this, this and this. Yeah. I'm a rock star, like. Yeah, amazing. Anybody that comes through, I, I just don't know how people do it, but they do. Yeah. And the way they do it and the things, it's, it's connection, but I also think it's purpose. Yeah. It? Yeah, I think you're so right. And so this podcast is about human resilience because mm-hmm. I just am blown away by people. You know, I just look at all they do, no more than yourself, Kayla, and we're going to talk about it in a minute. But the things that people do and what they give to others and what they share with others and they have a purpose and a passion. I believe the two of them kind of go together. And I'm quite passionate about sharing stories and sharing people's stories. And of course, the odd feck and feck and all curses words will come out with me when I'm very passionate about things. But that's okay. And my lots of people that have done workshops, you know, that have come to me over the years know that because I look at people and I say, God, can you not see the best of yourself? Can you not see what I see in you right now? You are just, and they are always amazing and they can't see it. 
And then you say, ask this person that just met you at 9 a.m. this morning. And I, I, did this, I did this only last month to my group. And I said, you've only worked with each other two days. Tell each other now what you saw in that person. And they're shocked that the other person can tell them the most beautiful things. Yep. And they've only met them the day before. Yep. And you know what? I think it's especially with Irish people in Irish society. Yeah. Like even think about something as basic as somebody compliments you. We don't say thank you. We say, Jesus, go away over there and don't, yeah. don't say things like that. You know what I mean? And we look down and I do it. Um, you know, but it's it's something that we should all kind of work on. And you know what I think it is? It's it's ego work. We need to do. And instead of having like people hear the word ego mm-hmm. and they think, oh, you're an egotistical person. You love yourself. Sometimes it can be the opposite. Yeah. Our ego is there and it's just taking battering after battering after battering, usually from ourselves because mm-hmm. we're Irish and that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, that when somebody does compliment us, we automatically assume that A, they must be joking and having a laugh about us behind our backs or B, they don't know the real us. I'm a fraud. Yeah. They don't actually know how I really am. You know, the imposter um, syndrome. Yeah. And this is it. <laughs> This is it. And we're in this weird place and we're like, oh, my God, are they lying? Are they telling the truth? But it's it's only when you start, as you said a while ago, working on the self-awareness, mm. working on the personal development. And as it was little bits of CBT as well that kind of help. And I, I love stoicism. I love philosophy. And I think yeah. stoicism is fabulous. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's literally about, OK, looking at the evidence. Would, uh, would this has this person lied to me before has this person made a joke about me before no they haven't so why would they know yeah you know and it's about looking at things objectively and it's not even that because sometimes we complicate it don't we Kayla yeah. if somebody says you look lovely say thanks a million if yep. somebody says I'm so happy to see you believe them because I think people don't say it unless they mean it yeah. I know sometimes you look at people you know, and in certain parts of industries, you know, my sister's an actress and, you know, and sometimes, you know, in the celebrity world in Hollywood, they're like air kissing and, oh, you're fabulous. And then they're talking about each other on a show afterwards. But we're not living in that land. We're living here day to day lives. And if I'm genuinely I'm happy to see somebody, I'm smiling from ear to ear, first of all, so I can't pretend I usually go over and hug them. And if somebody looks fabulous, I will tell them. But at the same hand, if I saw somebody that was standing back, was isolating themselves, had their head down, uh, you know, and they were kind of nervous, I would also go over to that person and acknowledge them as well. It doesn't have to be the all fabulous, how are you face? It's the face that's not looking but still needs attention in some way. So it's for us to acknowledge it on all levels, I believe. Yeah, it is. And it's it's the kind of the fabulous thing and you look great and all this kind of stuff. That's, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. You know, and I appreciate that. And, you know, if somebody tells me and again, I wouldn't have been like this before. I would have looked at the ground. But now I'm like, do you know what? There's this, there's this great phrase. It's memento mori. Right. And it's remember one day you must die. Yeah. And so I take that. And sometimes people say that's such a morbid thing to say, Kayla. And it's, it's quite the opposite. Mm. It's. When I say that to myself, it's reminding myself, right, you just met this really incredible person. You might never see them again. Mm-hmm. Tell them what you appreciate about them. Oh, because that's lovely. 
you know, because they're going to appreciate that. And mm. maybe it's coming on a day that they yeah. really just needed it. And I oh. know people have done it to me. Yes. Me and I've come away feeling fantastic from it. Yeah. Do you know what? I have just got shivers in my energy when you said that, because for me, it's the most important thing. Again, it comes down to connection, being noticed and being seen and somebody acknowledging if it's only a wave or a load across the street that you've seen them that day. But that goes for people that are sitting on the street because I do work with the homeless community as well. Mm -hmm. Acknowledge them. There's somebody's sister or brother. Sorry, yeah. Kayla, something went on with me thing there. But anyway, um, yeah, acknowledge everybody. Say hello to everybody on the street, young and old. Smile at them. I know we're behind masks a lot of the time now, but smile with your eyes. I don't care. Wave with your hand. I want to come back, Kayla, to um, 2016 when you co-founded a voluntary suicide intervention organization responding to people in suicidal distress 365 nights of the year. Now, as I said to you yesterday, you were, what, 24 when you co-founded that with Katrina McMahon, isn't that right? Yeah. Lovely Katrina. Um, and I said to you, at 24 years of age, what drove you, and I know Katrina had her own story, what drove you to co-found this amazing, amazing intervention organization, but at such a young age to deal with such a heavy, heavy topic yeah I suppose it's 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 interesting um what drove me to do it it's kind of when you're looking at it it's where two stories kind of met and collided so as you quite rightly said Katrina has her own story and she talks about it very very openly but she was suicidal um and she did experience she had a night where she experienced suicidal distress and I happened to be there and I don't know how but I'm very grateful I somehow spotted it and I questioned her further and we discovered after a long long time many many hours of fighting over and back that yes she was thinking about ending her life and to die by suicide um so we got through that part and I stayed and we stayed up all night talking and Katrina went then and did the really 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 hard work that she had to do on herself and she, she'll tell you now she still struggles a little bit with anxiety but she is I mean, Amazing. a different person. She's, my God, she's my inspiration every day. Yeah. Like, I just look at her and I go, Jesus, how am I supposed to keep up with this one? But, uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I think the actual founding of the organization, how it happened was after Katrina was in recovery for quite a long time, we're the type of people I am anyway, and Katrina is too, that we want to learn. We need knowledge. We, we want to know more. I'm always curious about everything. So we said, you know what, we'll go on and we'll do some suicide training and some self-harm training and mental health training. And the more we did, the more we loved it. I loved it. Katrina loved it. But I suppose for two different reasons. I Katrina, use her experience to help other people. I never wanted to be in a situation again where I didn't know what to do mm. or know how to help because I'm a fixer. Growing up, I've always been a fixer. I'm like, yeah, no bother. I'm cool as a breeze and I know what to do. I wasn't cool as a breeze that night when I heard the words suicidal. Alarm bells were going in my brain. And I was kind of, do you know that computer brain we were talking mm. about? I could feel my brain searching all the files. Okay, look for the instructions. Where have we seen this before? Hadn't seen it before because we weren't taught about it. We weren't taught that this was an actual thing that could happen. You know, when we when we look at suicide in the movies or in the stories, we're kind of told 
Suicide is a secret thing that happens at nighttime and nobody else sees it. So we're not expecting someone to go, well, yeah, I am suicidal. You know, so I was panicking. But look, we got there and we started doing all this training and I'll never forget it. We were sitting in a session and they put up this big picture on the whiteboard and they said, look, all these people and all these communities are trained um, to respond to suicide. And I was like, oh, my God, this is great. They're going to tell us where they are, you know, and whatever else. Flick to the next slide and that was it. And I remember hitting Katrina's leg and I go, where in God's name were they on that? Because I would have definitely rang them. I would have absolutely rang them. And it turned out that there was no list of people. Yeah, people were trained in the community, but there was nobody actually putting these people together and making, you know, a list of people who wanted to be on a list available. So look, it was it was after that we said, well, right, fine, we're trained. Let's just see if somebody in the community wanted or needed us. Make sure they know that we're trained in this so that nobody else ever has to spend the night absolutely petrified that their friend is going to kill themselves in the next room. Mm. Let's let's make sure that doesn't happen again. So that was after a tragedy in our own community. Somebody had sadly died by suicide and we said, look, enough is enough. Um, So we got in place and we started writing all the documentation that goes with an organization and secondhand mobile phone. We threw up a Facebook page and it was as quick as that people you remember how we were saying like people are so good mm. within minutes within hours people were messaging what can I do yeah. I'm not trained but I'll get trained um are you going to do a fundraiser where can we meet you do you need anything are you outside do you need tea do you need sandwiches and the messages just never stopped wow. and they still come to this day so I suppose fast forward years down the line and we have uh, a building here in Raquel and we have lots of volunteers and We've expanded to cover all of Limerick and we cover all of Ireland by phone. And hopefully soon, COVID kind of delayed us a little bit, but soon we'll have physical responders in other counties as well. So wow. it's amazing. Know, a hell of a ride. Well, I'll tell ride. you what, Kayla Cooley and Katrina McMahon, that is just, that's empowering. That's empowering yourselves, but it's empowering other people as well, you know, in your community that they don't have to stand back and let others do it, that they want to say, oh, God, well, Kayla and Katrina are doing, how can we help? How can we get involved? You're empowering a community. You're empowering families to say they have some control or some choice that now they know who to contact and they don't feel lost and alone with someone in their family that may be feeling suicidal. That is just a game changer. I just think it's every time I think about you, I always think it's just amazing how... And again, you were quite young that you decide you made a choice to either, oh, I can't do anything about it. But your choice was let's go and do something about it, Kayla. Amazing. Yeah. Um, do you know what? It's, it's just the type of person I've always been. I don't like to. I kind of think of things in two ways. I can sit here and I can give out that there was nothing there and I can be yeah. sour over it. And sometimes I do do that. Yeah. And I've learned that I get very, very negative. I get into a very, very negative headspace mm. and I start seeing things not really for what they are. Mm. Um, but I know for me that when I stand up and I take action and I do something that I feel is meaningful, if I feel it's meaningful to me, then I'm happy. You know, yeah. at least I know that I, I stood up and... Yeah, 
You're making a difference. You are really making a difference. Oh, you are, Kayla, without a doubt, you're making a difference. And even now, you have set up driving change training and consultancy, educating groups and organizations across Ireland on suicide and related issues. And I like your tagline here. You do not have to be a doctor to save a life. Education is the key to suicide prevention. Powerful. So this driving change, this training and consultancy, tell us more about this. Who are you aiming it at? Who is it for? Who can do it? All of those things. Okay, so I suppose what we saw, myself and Katrina, actually, Katrina is also co-founder of Driving Change, too, so joined at the hip. (laughs) I swear to God, I don't know how we haven't killed each other yet, but look, we we feel like we're doing good work, so we'll keep going. Um, So what we kind of saw was that the education that's out there is really, really good on suicide. Excellent. Like we are both QPR facilitators. So that's a training course and it's question, persuade and refer. It's kind of like the HSE's assist. Um, There's a few differences, but it's similar enough to, to kind of give you an example. But what we found is that most training sessions now is kind of copy and paste information. Right. So it's it starts at. Point A and it goes to point Z, but it misses out all the little bits in between. Mm. So instead of like they go to A, B and C and question, persuade and refer is great training as well. And we really rely on it. What we've done now is we use the question, persuade and refer and people get the certification when they do driving change, suicide response. But they also get the other certification to say that we have gone through, we added in empowerment. We Mm -hmm. add in stuff about sympathy versus empathy. We go through what suicide contagion, does suicide change when we're looking at online? No other courses did that. Not that Mm -hmm. I attended anyway. Yeah, You know, I had never heard of the word contagion um, in a suicide course that I had done. And I think that's a really important thing to know, especially in the digital world and the access to a virtual world that we have now 24 seven it's mm. different 10 years ago yeah we had the dial of connection and it was harder to get on yeah now we're always connected mm. there's all this stuff that comes up so we, we get the opportunity with with driving change to kind of develop our own training courses that intermesh with what's already out there but we have the freedom to go through things like suicide contagion um, we explore suicide in other countries, the cultural differences around suicide mm-hmm. and how that can make a, a really big difference here in Ireland, even yeah. like we see for somebody, say, who maybe of a certain religion, they could have really strict rules for themselves that somebody who's trying to prevent suicide might walk up and do something really, really, I mean, really offensive. Yeah. So we try and, you know, we try our best to kind of go through different things like that. Um so, and I think it's important to say as well, I suppose Katrina is researching as well. She's doing a postgraduate research master's in LIT too, but she focuses on childhood trauma. Wow. So while I bring in suicide and the internet contagion and all these things, Katrina brings in fabulous information about childhood trauma and how that can manifest later in life and mm. how they kind of intersect with suicide and how mm. everything kind of joins back together yeah. to remind people that when we're talking about suicide, it's not always about mental health and we can't make that, you know, that could be a big mistake to make when you're talking to somebody. So it's just, I think it gives us so much more freedom Mm. um, to explore things that are not usually spoken about. And who do we target? I suppose anybody 
working with people or for people. Mm-hmm. So we just did a session actually in UCD um, a couple of weeks ago up in Dublin for their residential assistants. Mm-hmm. So UCD have this thing where they have RAs and for the people who are living on campus, the RAs are like the be all and end all. So they'll, they'll come and they'll check in with you and they'll make sure everything's going all right. And if you need to talk to someone, you can. And all they do fabulous work like. Um, so that there is a gatekeeper. Mm. That's a person who has direct access to someone. Yeah. And can, and I suppose one of the big things we always say is that people in positions that will notice a considerable change. So what we love to see is, you know, bus drivers, school Mm. bus drivers, they see a child when they get on the bus in the morning and they see that same child when they get off. They're in a great position to notice something. Yeah. You know, so who do we target? Anyone who works with or for people. Yeah. I always think that coaches, you know, as well, because they're working with people um, a few times a week, they're seeing them at their best and their worst, maybe performance wise. And then if it kind of continues, they're noticing or if they're turning up at all for training, you know, and they were a great person for being there. You know, I think there's so many avenues Teachers, I know, have a huge amount of responsibility at school already. But I think, again, when they're not equipped with the training, it's very hard for them. You know, as I I have sometimes that are teachers and they've become social workers, you know, unfortunately. And it is getting harder and harder for them. So the more training they have and the more equipped they are with things. But again, maybe there should be like a residential assistant. Maybe there should be a school assistant in every class if that was the ideal world just there for the children, just there for the child that doesn't fit in or just there for the child that doesn't have many friends or just there for the child that's having a bad day or there's been a row in the house or mom and dad have split up or whatever it is, you know, or because so many things go on in life outside of our work and our school and our community. So many things go on behind closed doors and we are all trying to be this, you know, okay person but everybody struggle and everybody has a challenge in their life, big or small. But again, I would say to people, if you have something that's bothering you and you're thinking about it quite a lot, it doesn't matter that someone else might consider that a small challenge or problem because it's yours. And if it's bothering you, it has an effect on your life. So it does matter. It doesn't matter if you think, oh, it's not that big, you know, compared to Mary or Jimmy down the road. It's your problem and it matters. And I don't, I always say that to people, you know, don't just sit back and say, oh, mine's not that big. I won't bother telling anybody because what happens, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, it does. And I, I hate when kind of people say that too, because we, we can't afford to make comparisons. Everybody's threshold is different. Yeah. Everybody's experience is different. So to bring it back to the computer files in the brain, what something might seem so tiny we don't know what that's triggering in another person's head. Yeah. That's going into that file and it's reminding them of every time they felt that way. And all of a sudden they have all these things going through their mind that maybe they don't have the space to process. So mm-hmm. we can't afford to say that my pain is greater than your pain or your pain is less than Mary's pain because yeah. we've all processed it differently. And we do all try and be a safe person. And, you know, research shows, especially with young people, one good adult can be the key to preventing suicide among young people yeah one good adult not that that adult has to be trained yeah it's always better if they are but Mm. just to I suppose a constant person that's there and like you said maybe it's it's not a teacher but to put a social care worker into schools 
that is literally just there to support students emotionally. Yeah. Come and see me if you want, don't, or yeah, whatever. Door open policy, yeah, come in. You don't make an appointment if I'm here. Come and chat to me, pass by, shout hello, you know. Whatever, and, yeah. and coaches as well. And I love that you said that because I like I grew up an athlete. That's my whole life was sports. Yeah. Um, and I remember if ever I had something really, really bothering me, my coach was the first person I would have ever spoken to. There or the one safe teacher that I had. And I remember I used to be so bold at school and I used to always get into all sorts of trouble. I know I don't look like it now, but I did. Um, <laughs> and I remember that one teacher that always had my back, no matter what I did. Now she'd kill me afterwards yeah. when the door was closed. She said, Kayla, why do you keep putting me in positions where you're getting me in trouble? But she always had my back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I knew, I knew I had safe people. And I think, yeah. you know what? If I didn't, wouldn't have met it this far. No, I know. And it's and you saying that it is even more powerful because, um, again, I know even from people I've spoken to and they say, you know, through their lives, there was one person and that person stands out for them. And that person changed kind of their perspective on things or the trajectory of where they were in their lives or where they were going. And as I said, we don't realize the influence we can have on a person's life. And that's not saying we're influencers, people, not that at all. I don't want to be a fucking influencer in any shape or form, (laughs) but influencer in the fact that we can say you're you're okay. I've got you. Yeah, no, I I like you the way you are. Warts and all shishy moods, all of those things. I still like you and I still want to be your friend. Or I've got your back. Or even though you're a little shithead and you're causing trouble in school, I know you have the potential to do better. And I'm going to keep, you know, cheerleading for you. You know, and yeah. I think we need more of that. I know it's hard. I know it's extremely hard in the education center system now, right now. I know it is for teachers and pupils. But you know what? Remember, we're all just people at the end of the day. We're all just people. And what do people want? Everybody wants to be loved. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we all just want to be loved for who we are. That's yep. what it comes down to. And it's if there's two things in this world, it's love and fear. Mm-hmm. So if you're full of fear, you can't have love. But if you're full of love, the fear kind of gets brushed away. But even if we're f- kind of afraid of things, we can still balance it out because we're loved by somebody. Even if it's only one person. That yeah. we feel that maybe it'll help lessen the fear a little bit. Yeah, and this is it. And it's it's that one good person. And I think it's not only applicable to young people. We don't, well, I'll only speak for myself. I haven't changed an awful lot from when I was a child. Like I still have the same, yeah, I know a lot more than I did when I was younger, mm. but I'm still the same person with the same kind of core beliefs and the same systems yeah. and everything else. They've just evolved, I suppose, is the word that I'd use. I still want the same thing I did when I was a child is for somebody to have my back and for somebody no. to say, Kayla, that was really shitty what you did, but yeah. I still love you, you know, and somebody yeah. to be able to confront you with those things too. Mm. I think that's a huge act of love. Yeah. When somebody comes and I have one friend, Lorna, and she's great at this. If I say or do something that was a bit, you know, uh, questionable, uh, she's the first one at the door to tell me, you were a bitch today, but yeah. you're my bitch and I love you and let's have Aww. a cup of tea, you know, and I think sometimes that's the bravest thing anybody can do. Lovely. Well, I have kids for that, Kayla. Oh, fabulous. That's <laughs> and, again. and I always say the kids are my gracious teachers, but by God, they bring you back down to ground. Oh. They're so humbling because they will cut you right to the core and they'll say, 
that's ridiculous or, yeah. you know, whatever. I, you know, my son said something to me yesterday and it did. And I got really kind of reactive towards it because I knew he was right. And I was kind of like, <laughs> and then, but I kind of went, yeah, he is right. But I'm a great one for coming back and saying, I'm sorry, or I wasn't right there. You know, I've learned that you can have, you know, disagreements with people in your family. It doesn't mean they don't like you. It's just that you do, we are, as you said, our minds work differently. We think different and sometimes we react. We don't respond. So all of those things. I mean, this could go into so much of a conversation, Kayla, but I'm very again, I'm always mindful of time and the time you have given me. Um, so I want to say, yes, I want to say so many things. But anyway, okay. where are we going to say, say now? Yes. Kayla, people can contact you on www.kaylacooley.com, K-A-Y-L-A-C-O-O-L-E-Y.com or www.drivingchange.ie. Yep. Yeah, you're on LinkedIn, you're on Instagram, you're on Facebook, Twitter. Twitter, yeah, you won't really get me on Facebook. Facebook is kind of, I'm useless at that, but everything else you'll find me. Great, and to contact you. um, What do you say to... I'll ask you two questions. I hope I'm not going to put you on the spot. Okay. First of all, what would you say to a family or even friends that have lost someone to suicide? And, you know, what would you say to them? What I would say and what I always say is suicide is a loss that is so different to any other type of loss that the help you need in reaction to that and in response to that is very, very different also to the normal avenues um, that people would go. If you can go to a therapeutic space, that's, that's great. But what I would say is that when people pass you on the street and the people who have lost people to suicide will know what I'm talking about. And they look down at the ground or they cross the road and they don't know what to say. That is just because the loss is different. Yeah. It is no reflection on the person that you have lost. It is no reflection on anything that you have done or didn't do. It is that suicide is such a different loss that people don't know how to be Mm. um, and how to kind of acknowledge your loss. But there are places you can go and there are great supports now. We're we're not brilliant in suicide postvention in Ireland, but we're improving all the time. And there are certain places. Hug is a great one. H-U-G-G. And they have peer support groups that are run by volunteers who have specialized training, um, who are facilitators of the groups. They have all lost somebody to suicide. And I think because the loss is so different, the only person who is really going to really see you and be able to empathize with that loss is somebody who's experienced the same thing. Mm. So if anybody is confused or they're living in that space where they feel disenfranchised by their grief, in that people didn't respond the same way as if it was a different type of death. There are places and spaces for you. There are people who want to work with you. So please don't feel like you have to carry that alone. There are spaces, hugg.ie, go and have a look and and see what you can, see what you feel comfortable with. That is brilliant, Kayla. Thank you so much. What do you say about where we are about this conversation in suicide? I have absolutely loved this conversation today, Kayla. I'm telling you that honestly. I know it's an awful topic and people don't want to generally talk about it. I think we need to talk about it much more. And, you know, I heard once, and I'm going to say it out loud, I heard someone saying to me before, well, the more we talk about it, the more that it happens. Mm. 
And I was going, really? It was happening years ago, but she called it something else and didn't tell people that, you know, someone in your family died by suicide. As you said, they made up that they had stomach problems or natural causes or, oh, heart attack when he wasn't even a bit sick and died, fell off the ladder or whatever he did, you know. Yeah. Do you believe this is a good thing? We're talking openly more about suicide. I think it's a fantastic thing. And I think that we don't talk about it enough. Good. So what I would say to, to people is how we talk about suicide is the most important thing. That is the most important thing. Suicide and this myth has been around for years and years. And no matter how many times different people disprove it, it's still there. It's embedded into us. Mm. Um, talking about suicide does not cause suicide. It doesn't happen. As human beings, we're just not that impressionable. Yeah. If somebody is not in distress, you will not cause them distress by asking them if they're suicidal. What actually might happen is you could end up saving their life. It's mm. life-saving conversations that we're having when we're talking about suicide. We don't talk about it enough, but we also need to be very careful that we talk about it responsibly. And one of the best things we can do is to learn the facts Never speak about suicide methods. Um, another thing I see quite a lot online is, you know, if somebody is in the process or they're showing their distress, people take a photo and put it up and mm. say, this just happened in Dublin City West or whatever. Mm. Don't do that. What you're doing is you are taking a photo of somebody who is experiencing their darkest yeah. moment ever and you're sharing it. And we don't want voyeurism. Imagine that person next week going back and seeing that online. There's certain things that we don't do, um, but talking about suicide and talking safely and responsibly and letting people know that we're okay mm. to talk about suicide is the most important thing. And it's, as long as you do your best to talk about it safely and responsibly, you are never going to, to mm. cause somebody to die by suicide. It's just not the way it works. Yeah, that is amazing. Thank you so much, Kayla. So the other thing, if anybody out there at all is interested in learning more, you please do contact Kayla. As I said, um, herself and Katrina have set up two amazing organizations in the last few years. They're helping so many people, but not you're empowering so many people. You're empowering communities, empowering organizations with your training, which I think is just colossal. I think it's one of the most amazing things I've actually seen in the last few years. And I know I connected with you and Katrina a few years ago, probably on Twitter. And I always followed both of you because I was just amazed by your motivation, you know, and that I just, I just think it's spectacular, you know, and that's, I just think it's amazing. I think you are like the unsung heroes of communities that I talk about on this podcast constantly, you know, we're not always on the television and in the newspapers, but we're doing things maybe behind the scenes, really working in the shitty parts that people don't want to work on, you know, and we're talking about the shitty things that people don't want to talk about, but we have to talk about them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And <clears throat> talk real about them. And that's why I've loved this conversation because it's been yeah. very real and very honest. Um, and we, like you say, we skirted around things or we didn't skirt around things that people usually skirt around. Um, yeah. So I've loved it. And thanks very much for having me on. It's, it's, I've really enjoyed it. Okay, well, I have as well. I could keep talking. I really could. But maybe that's for another day. We'll come back and see where things are. And I will absolutely get Katrina on the podcast as well. I was considering both of you because I know you, as you said, you're nearly joined at the hips. But I like the individual 
kind of your perspective on things and then Katrina's story as well. And as I said, I'd love her to come on and give her an opportunity to share her story as well, because the two of you together are powerhouse. You're just a brilliant team. And I love that you respect each other and trust each other enough, you know, and that you put in all of your skills and you're still learning and, you know, sharing that with all of us, I think. And the research part of it is huge, Kayla, for me, you know, even hearing that, because when I first read, you know, your pro-suicide way, I kind of first I was like, what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then when as you speak about it, it makes so much sense. And I'm like, wow. And even the other thing that really got me was the peer support groups, you know, that there should be much more of them and maybe not the way we think of as peer support group, but in a way where you're going with people where you can be honestly real and say the darkest things that are there and not hold back and just let it be. Because most of the problem with people that are distressed and suicidal is because they can't express it and I know that myself you can see I'm not very shy and expressing anything anymore Kayla but that was one of the huge things and barriers in my life all through my life up until that point was not being able to express how I felt or the horrible things that went on in my life now I say it as it is and that's it and I don't care and I don't apologize for it anymore because I was long enough quite (laughs) absolutely and do you know what I love it and that's I think even just the more people we get to say that because people have this huge fear. And if you do talk to Katrina later on, she'll talk about it Mm. is once I say this, I'm going to be sanctioned and I'm going to be brought into involuntary admission into hospital. And all these horrible, nasty things are going to happen. And people are not too far off the mark when they say that, because not that you're going to be involuntary sanctioned or anything like that, but it does cause looks and it does cause people to kind of double take. Um, so if we can create environments where people are able to hold that space because yeah. they know exactly what it feels like, yeah. um, because moderating what people say and what they feel like they can share, it's, 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 it's only ever gotten us to this place that we're in now and it's mm. still happening. So yeah. maybe we need to look at, at doing something there or what's, what's a safer way to do that. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. And I think more often, and if anybody is listening to this, um, that is, you know, feeling suicidal or is distressed in any shape or form. You've heard what both myself and Kayla have said, and Kayla is the expert with the research. I'm only the one that kind of went through it. So I'm the other expert, but I'm telling you now that distress will pass. You know, if you please just, you know, take another five minutes and pick up the phone and call somebody, call me or Kayla. (laughs) (laughs) message us if you had to you know just so that you can get through that next five minutes and maybe you'll be able to get through the next five minutes if it's a family member that has experienced you know suicide within their family and are finding it extremely hard I love that Kayla has given the hug hugg.ie it's a peer support group and these are people that have experienced suicide in their own lives so they absolutely understand where you're coming from so please do not feel alone and that you have to hide what you're feeling, you know, and that grief, because it is very different. And remember, again, always, we all experience grief very differently. It doesn't matter what the way the person passed. We experience it differently. You don't have to go by the rule book of grief. There is no such thing. Nope. You just do it your way. Kayla Cooley, again, thank you so much. I know we will just keep talking if I don't stop. So I'm going to say thank you so much. I really do appreciate. I think this is probably one of the most important topics I have covered in my, this is now the 41st episode. 
And I think it is the most important topic because it does affect us. And I want people to realize that you can talk about it. And if somebody in your family or your friendships, you feel they might be, ask them. Ask Ask them. them. Always ask. Always always ask. It's better to know. If the answer is yes, we know what to do. If the answer is no, we know what to do. If we stay in the gray area, nobody knows anything. That's it. Absolutely. Kayla, thank you so much. I really, really, really appreciate your time and your honesty and your openness. And I can only wish you every success for the future. I'm going to come back and check in with you in a few months or a year and see where you are and what else you can share with us and your insights and wisdom because you've so much knowledge to share and I really appreciate it. Anytime. I've loved it. And thank you so, so much for getting in touch and for having me on. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks a million, Sharon. You're welcome, Kayla. So thank you, everybody. And that was Kayla Cooley, www.kaylacooley.com or check out www.drivingchange.ie. And if there is anyone out there that is feeling a little bit alone at the moment, remember that we've all gone through days like that. Some of us have had harder days than others. But that if you can get through the next few minutes, pick up the phone, call somebody, text somebody, reach out and just let you know that you know that you're important too. you know, we all have value in this world. So thank you, everyone, for listening. I appreciate all your um, feedback, as always, and your support in sharing. Thanks, everyone. And see you all soon.